This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Coach Jen. The dressage crew is out and about this week. So sit back and enjoy this classic episode from the Dressage Radio Show Audio Vaults. Featuring Western Dressage co-hosts Karen Abatista and Timothy Christensen and their guest, USEFR Judge Charlotte Trentelman. This is Karen Abatista from Sarasota, Florida. And this is Tim Christensen from Mayaka City, Florida. And you're listening to the Western Dressage episode of the Dressage Radio Show brought to you by the Horse Radio Network. Tim, we had a busy weekend, didn't we? Oh, boy, we sure did. But what a lot of fun we had. Um, we were, we, uh, the, the Western Dressage Association of Florida, we held our second annual um, Florida Western Dressage Championship show, and it was another success. We just had a great time. We had so many new exhibitors um, and so many new faces that it was so exciting. We had somebody come down from from Vermont. Um, we had another lady to show, and we had another lady who had shown up from South Carolina to check it out. Um, these both of these gals were very enthusiastic about Western Dressage and were wanting to get it going in their home states. But it was just quite a show. We had really nice horses. We had phenomenal weather. Um, it just was, I would just say, a smash hit. And everybody just sounded like they had a ball. Wouldn't you agree, Karen? I, I would agree. I think some of the highlights were just, it was really great to see professionals working together. You know, I, yes, everybody I yep. was having fun cheering each other on. And while it was a competition, it was in the spirit of camaraderie. And I really, really like that. Um, and I also really like to see how many adult amateurs are getting out there and supporting the shows. Um, I really have to commend, they are the backbone of, of the sport. They're what keep everything going. And it's so nice to see them just embracing, embracing the discipline. And of course, and I would agree. Yep. Yeah. And we need to do a shout out to the volunteers because oh, we, we had great volunteers. Yeah. I mean, to yeah. all of you guys out there who go out and you scribe and you steward and you do what you can to make these shows happen. We couldn't do it without, without you and never doubt that you are appreciated. Um, but Tim, and I, think I think another observation, I think, I think we had a lot of youth kids there too, this weekend Yeah, as we, yeah, as we, did. we look back. Um, cause I think we even had, we're talking in the office that we might want to split the, this year, I think the amateur junior divisions were combined and it yes. looks like we had enough youth that we can probably split them off next year, um, with the numbers of what they were talking in the office. So that's also really encouraging is that we're now starting to get some looks from, from the youth participants. Yeah, because so. dressage has always been kind of a 
mm, uh, have to with some of the kids. You know, it's not as exciting as jumping or some of your Western disciplines. So to see the kids embracing it and wanting to come out really bodes well for the future of the sport. And I, I am yes, and, about that. And I have a 4-H club coming this Saturday for um, a little clinic with them on the Western Dressage. So that's very enthousi- enthusiastic that it is starting to reach at the, at the, the junior level. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to see interest in there as well. So, well, and I, I just have to tell everybody, Karen, how many, Karen, how many tests did you read? <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing that I have a voice today. I do have to say, um, I think I counted 26 or 28 tests that I read on Saturday and a couple more even on Sunday because I got roped in for some other people you know, when I was standing on the sidelines, I, I think the judges got tired of looking at me personally. I mean, yeah. I just kept walking <laughs> from ring to ring to ring to ring. And of course, nothing like a little bit of pressure. So it's Sunday, almost towards the end of the show. And you look at me as we're going in and I'm thinking I would kill for a throat lozenge and say, I've never ridden this test before. Make sure I can hear you. Oh, nothing like a little bit of pressure. Great, Tim. So yeah, if you <laughs> but it went well. It went well. I had, I had, I knew the maneuvers, so I, I was prepared for the maneuvers. But and I kind of knew where they were coming in the flow. But yeah, you know. So, but it went good. Um, and just kind of for those me. that are listening, um, if you're at a state association or you're at one or you want to get one going, it was, it was just a great show and it all came together and we would encourage if you are at a state association to really um, consider putting on a, a club sponsored show because it was just a lot of fun and, yeah. and, and it would really give you a lot of encouragement. And so. I, I do have to say one other thing too. Um, this was another weekend happened to us when we were out in Oklahoma it is so cool when we're out at these shows and people come up to us and go, oh, you're the guys from the Horse Radio Network. And, you know, if you know Tim and you know me, you know, we we really don't mind listening to ourselves talk. You know, we, we kind of entertain each other. But it's really nice to know that other people are listening. <laughs> and yeah, um, it is. It's encouraging. Yeah, we we really thank you for your support and uh, keep those comments and keep that feedback coming because uh, we enjoy what we do and it's nice to know that you enjoy it too. So anyway. And I truly believe that we are, this is probably the most hottest discipline going and it is just being, the enthusiasm and the inquirers are just great. So, so stay encouraged and get excited and try to grow it at your local level. Absolutely. Well, we have a great show coming up. Uh, With us today is Charlotte Trentelman. And Charlotte Trentelman is a USEF, United States Equestrian Federation, licensed senior judge in dressage and a licensed 
uh, large R judge in Western dressage. And we're going to talk with Charlotte about the similarities and the differences between the two disciplines and actually get her to talk about some of those easy to fix errors that she sees time and time again uh, from the view at sea. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. She had waited all her life for this moment, dreaming about it since she was 10 years old. The trailer ramp touched the ground. He whinnied as she backed him out, swinging his head around to get a good look at his new home. His coat gleamed in the sun. Her love had arrived. She was breathless. He was beautiful. She could hardly wait to tack him up and start off on what she was sure would be the best times of her life. This love story is brought to you by Contribute, providing essential omega-3 fatty acids that help maintain low inflammation levels throughout your horse's body. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. So joining us this episode is Charlotte Trenelman. Charlotte is a U.S. Equestrian Federation S dressage judge who has competed through Grand Prix. She is also a USCF large R Western dressage judge. Charlotte competes in combined driving through the advanced levels and Charlotte and her husband, Chris run Rebel Ridge farm in Anthony, Florida. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Now, as a licensed judge in both traditional dressage and Western dressage, we figured you're the perfect person to ask about the similarities and the differences between the two disciplines, because that seems to be one of those questions that comes up over and over again with our listeners. You know, what, what exactly is Western dressage uh, and how does it differ from what they're used to seeing in the USDF competitions? Well, uh, first of all, we see an awful lot of it in the schooling shows in our area. And most of the judges at my level don't necessarily do a whole lot of schooling shows. But I do get a lot of questions from the L judges, the small R judges that are asked to do that. Uh, And the advice that I give to them is that, yes, basically the same things are in, in progress. The basics of the gate are there. Uh, the connection is there. All of the basic, uh, um, if you will, uh, steps that you would do in a normal dressage class, you would also do in the Western. But where the difference is, is the Western dressage has more of a, an emphasis on obedience, accuracy, uh, connection being light and quiet, and a free-flowing feeling. Not that that's not certainly sought after for in the straight, but in the straight dressage, also there's a little bit more uh, of emphasis on the athleticism and brilliance at times that gives that type of horse a little bit more of an edge, even though it may not be as uh, obedient or accepting of the bit. I really like the fact that in Western dressage, they ask the horse to work with the rider. They ask the horse to bend with the rider. They they, uh, ask the horse to be quiet in the bridle, not to come behind, not to be forced. It has to be free-flowing. 
when you have that, you get good scores for it. When you don't have that, you have to, to charge down, even though the horse may have very, very good gates. If they're not behaving, if they're not relaxed and bending, then you cannot give a higher score. So we're kind of emphasizing rideability over brilliance? That's true. Although a brilliant horse that's balanced uphill and has a lot of athleticism and uh, suppleness through the back will probably get a higher score if it's doing everything else just as well as a horse not so brilliant. That's going to be the same in either division, either the traditional dressage or the Western dressage. It has to be. Okay. Um, and a couple of questions, as Charlie, as you know, is I come from a strong Western background from the all-around horse. And if you could just go through, and like you talked about the bend, and, and I think the Western people who are coming in new is the proper bend. And, and it took me a while, the bend and the arc around your circles or around your leg, and it's not just bending the head in or the neck, but that, that proper bend in the body. And also that word that you, you just brought up, suppleness in the back. Um, as we get some of these pleasure horses or the all-run horses that may be a little tighter gated, a little tighter in their back, explain that briefly, if you could, for the listeners. Okay. Let's go with suppleness first. Uh, any horse that's uh, being trained in dressage, no matter what saddle you put on it, uh, can be better. In other words, you work to make them use their backs a little bit more softer, uh, reach underneath themselves a little bit more, get a little bit more swing in their gait. Uh, you see that particularly at the walk. Uh, and when you have a horse that's a little bit short behind, you have to kind of work it. Well, why is this horse being this way? You know, is it tense through the back? Is it tense? Is it being restricted in front? Uh, how can you get the horse to stretch forward, stretch down, develop its top line so that it can use the back a little bit more property and, uh, properly and a little bit more uh, elastically? Uh, you know, that's, that's one thing. Now, as far as bending is concerned, uh, most of the time you see them bend in both divisions. You see too much bend. You see the neck, but not anything through the body. Or worse, you see the, the shoulder pops out. The next stays in, <laughs> and, and, and it's 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 not really a correct bend. But you think, oh my goodness, I got this really great bend for my leg here. No, the horse is just <laughs> sort of avoiding and not being straight. Uh, a horse, if it's straight to your aids, even if it's straight on the curve of a line, if you can imagine that, if it's straight, it's going to be able to work through its hindquarters a little bit better. The power will be there. That's where the engine is. Uh, so when you, if you straighten the horse, say, and you ask it to move forward and you're not restricting in front, but it's balanced and pushing up from behind, you should feel like a little uphill balance, actually. And if you come on a, a, a bend, say, through a, a circle or a smaller, like through a corner, you know, you should always feel like you still have the horse straight on your aids. And when you come out of that turn, that horse is still moving forward in the same tempo that it went into the bend, into the corner with. Uh, like I say, I, I really see too much bend or uh, the big mistake that you often see uh, when you have someone who makes a turn, say, at B or E, come across the 
the uh, center line and then change their direction. Uh, you'll see the horse is set up for the first turn, but the rider does not set up for the second, the change of them. Uh, so they lose points on that. Uh, what they should be doing is as soon as they come off their corner and start to go across the center line, they should be setting up the horse with the new bend so that they can show that to the judge when they make that second corner. Uh, you see people a lot of times they make the first, they don't make the second. And again, a lot of times it's because they lose the horse's shoulder and the horse is not going forward from their aids, from their leg and their feet. So Perfect. when Thank we you. talk when we talk about bend too and straightness, because I heard you mention straightness, one of the things I see a lot with some of the horses coming over from the Western disciplines is a lack of straightness in the lope. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. Has and that they refer to that as as being canted, where they want that hind end, the hindquarters in. Um, they call they refer to that as being canted. Why do they do that? They want that. <laughs> it seemed okay. to be a fab that came <laughs> on several years ago, and there's lots of different reasons, but it is there. Um, as you know, that mine came from that background. And boy, it took me a long time to get that fixed and to get them to move straight. And Karen, as you know, every now and then it reappears. Oh, yeah. When they um, get tense, all of a sudden you're doing a head to the wall leg yielding a canner down the rail. Yeah. And you're yep. like, all at once you move wrong good. and they're like, okay, here we go again. And you're like, no, 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 go straight. So, yeah. I just, I mean, that's so. one of those things where I just have no idea why someone even came up with that because it makes no sense to me. But that, but teaching these so, horses to go straight then in a canner or a lope has been quite challenging. It has been, and and it took me a while to redo it. So, Charlotte, if you could talk to the listeners about the importance of straightness as we're going down that rail, um, because that's when our horses want to camp in or, or not, uh, and why it's important. Because someone said to me once, they said, become obsessed with straightness. And that stuck with me um, as I was redoing my horses. Um, so let's, you know, the importance of straightness when we're coming in straight down the center line, what are you looking for? Well, when the horse is coming straight down the center line, I'm looking for the front two feet if I'm sitting at C. And uh, hopefully I don't see the rear. In other words, they, they come in straight, you, they stop straight, and they move off. And for that, I mean, the front legs and the hind legs are tracking the same way. Now, it's a little bit more difficult and harder when you're going down the long side of a, a ring, uh, whether it be a dressage arena or, or just a, a regular uh, main ring type of situation. Uh, because what happens is the horses, of course, if you look at them, they normally are a little bit more narrow in their shoulders or their chest than they are through the hips. So a horse that's going straight down the long side with its outside shoulder and outside hip on the rail will always look just a little bit punches in. This is not to be confused with, you know, actually asking for a leg yield down the long side, uh, which, you know, that's a whole different deal. But rather than think, okay, I've got to bring the horse's hip in, what you need to do is to bring that horse's shoulder out just a tad so that as a person who is inside the ring or at sea is looking at it, the horse looks straighter. If you get this, 
then the horse is able to push off more evenly from behind and come underneath a little bit more. Your half halts will go through a little bit better. You'll be able to uh, reweight the horse over the haunches as you need to to get the balance a little bit more uphill. Uh, if the horse is crooked, you can't do those things. And you know, if you look at the Western dressage rules, they say the same thing for traditional dressage. They want to see an uphill quality, especially as you're getting into first uh, level one, level two, level three, and of course level four now that we're going to have that. And not so much in the basic or intro levels, uh, but you want to get that balance uphill. You want to be able to feel that the horse can power off. A good example uh, people have often asked me, well, how do I know if I have a really good lengthening or a really good medium trot or jog? And, well, you start to work on something like a shoulder four or a shoulder in. You put your horse into like uh, a shoulder in, go down the long side. At some point, point the horse across the ring and ask it to straighten and push off. If for a couple of strides you feel real push from behind, that means that the horse is lengthening, is pushing off, and also you have weighted that inside hind leg enough so that it can demonstrate that. That's why we ask horses to sit a little bit more when we're asking them to come into collection. That's one of my favorite training exercises. That was uh, the old, was that four? Two, fourth level test two at one point you had to do that shoulder in to a medium it, it I loved from that a test a long time ago that's for sure uh and I'm not well, you shouldn't I'm say not it like sure that we... not that long ago I'm not that old <laughs> <laughs> no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and so also that, that was an exercise that Major Lincoln used to give us many, many years ago, too, uh, when he was teaching. See, here you area. go with the many, many years ago. <laughs> oh, I'll try to get off of that. <laughs> um, but to the uphill balance, that's another question that we get a lot from the listeners. You know, we we're starting to see, you know, not really apples to apples in some of these classes will have a very traditional stock horse that may not have been provided by nature with a, you know, uphill balance. They're another pretty level top line. Some of them might even be a little bit downhill against, you know, some of these breeds like your Frisians or your Andalusians that, you know, their necks set higher they just, you know, they come out of the gate more uphill. From a judge's perspective, how do you deal with that? Because the Western horse might be trying their best to sit behind, but they're just not made that way. Well, first of all, let's think a little bit uh, about terminology here. Uh, election, uphill. Um, what does this actually mean? It means self-carriage, which is something that from level one on we should be seeing. And for a really good basic level horse, we should be seeing the beginnings of it. Self-carriage means when you give the rein, the horse is able to maintain its balance. Okay? Mm -hmm. And if it gets quicker in its rhythm, if it 
the tempo, runs a little bit downhill, uh, leans on the bit. Uh, this is lack of collection or uphill balance or self-carriage. And you have to work. I mean, some horses, it's going to be harder to work with it. But that horse may be able to do other things much better. Mm, that horse okay. may be able to lengthen better <laughs> than, uh, and, and may be able to swing to its back a little bit better. Just because it's built a little downhill doesn't mean it's not a good dressage horse. It just means that you have to really work to strengthen it over its top line, which is something I say a lot, strengthen the horse over the top line so that it can carry its own head and get a little bit more engaged behind than the hawks, articulate the hawks so that the weight comes a little bit more balanced over the hindquarters. It's not impossible. And I certainly would never say to anybody, you know, don't ride this horse in dressage because, you know, he's not built right because dressage is supposed to make every horse better. Mm-hmm. Now, the other horses that are, that are born uphill, sometimes we have a hard time getting them to stretch forward into the connection. And that's equally bad. So there, there are points to be lost in that direction, too. The horse still needs to be able, even if it's naturally uphill, and very, very collected naturally, has to be able to step forward and uh, cover its prints, uh, step, show overstride, uh, show uh, relaxation to its back, and some of those horses have difficulty doing that. Gotcha. Thanks. So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to ask Charlotte some of the easy-to-fix errors she commonly sees from C. So please stay with us. This winter grooming tip is brought to you by Horseware Blankets. Joining us are two of the top grooms in the country of Enter Philip Dutton's groom, Emma Ford, and Cat Hill from World Class Grooming. Our Horseware Winter Grooming Tip of the Week is brought to you by Cat. And Cat, this time we're talking about keeping your horses warm after a workout. And I think there always is some confusion exactly what to do here. I do think it's one of the most confusing things, and especially for people who don't necessarily have access to you know, beautiful indoor that attaches to stalls if you're having to go out in the wind or if you've been out for a trail ride. How exactly do you keep those um, those horses warm from having their muscles seize up and get stiff and uncomfortable? Um, the biggest rule of thumb is simply to never leave a damp, warm horse uncovered. You want the horse to cool out slowly. It's actually the opposite of what we think of when we think of the summertime. You really want them to not go from warm and sweaty to freezing cold all at once. Um, sweat evaporates, which cools them off, which is great in the summertime and works against us in the winter. So I actually leave my tack on until I have a fleece over their rear end. Um, and then I will remove my saddle and saddle pad, but I don't take my saddle and saddle pad off and then put it down and go get a fleece because I think it can catch a, a chill quite quickly when it's when it's properly cold. Um, the same thing, I actually try to use a quarter sheet at the beginnings and ends of my workout so that when I'm doing my walking cool down, when I'm on them or hand walking them, they have something over their quarters to keep them warm. Um, I also try to layer blankets, especially uh, up here in the chicken parts where you know, most days, if you're riding after work, are going to be um, close to freezing or below freezing. 
um, it's very hard to just have a fleece on them. They'll get cold. So what I'll actually do is uh, put a sports net or um, the Rambo Luxury Cooler is really nice. It's a dual layer that wicks. Um, or even the fleece-lined Ionic on, on top of them. And then I put another blanket over top of that to wick away any moisture and then have, you know, the protective layer from the wind on top of it. And um, I actually don't walk forever. I let them stand, but I just make sure that they stay covered. And especially if you've got a limited amount of time after work and you got to get them dressed again before you head home, putting something underneath their regular blanket that helps wick will prevent them from getting chilled. So the horsewear blankets we uh, or fleeces that we'd recommend here are are uh, the Rambo Sports Net um, as your base layer, and then the Rambo Luxury Cooler or a fleece lined Ionic as your second layer. Well, thank you for that, Cat. Good advice. Where can people find more about what you do? We're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and our website are all the same. It's World Class Grooming. Our website is worldclassgrooming.com, and then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at just World Class Grooming. And don't forget the book, World Class Grooming. You can find that at the website as well. Great holiday gift. This tip was brought to you by Horseware. Have you ever wanted to own your own Rambo? Well, here's your chance. From October 3rd to November 23rd, receive $50 off any Rambo turnout blanket, including the Rambo Duo, the Optimo, the Original, the Supreme, and all the others in the Rambo turnout line. All you have to do is trade in your old turnout from any brand for a horse in need. Simply visit horseware.com slash trade for more information and fill out the form for the voucher you will need to get your $50 off. The complete list of retailers is at horseware.com slash trade as well. Open to U.S. and Canadian residents only. Go to horseware.com slash trade today and replace that blanket with all the holes for one of the best blankets on the market, the Rambo Turnout line. And um, welcome back. We're with Charlotte. Um, and we welcome you back. Charlotte, um, Saturday night at, the, at our dressage show, we had a, a question and answer session. And there were a couple questions and topics that came up that I thought you really explained very well and their 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 questions and concerns that i've heard um one is is western dressage big dressage horses and western saddles um and you know the difference between jogs and trots and lopes and canners and i really thought that you explained that it really well could you just touch base on that horses are horses they walk they jog, they lope, uh, and they walk, they trot, and they canter. If you look at the rules for WDAA, the Western Dressage Division, as well as the Dressage Division, it's almost identical as to what they are saying that you should do if you're trotting, jogging, loping, cantering. Uh, the difference is, like I said, when you look at it, it's the obedience, it's the accuracy, it's where they make the higher points in the Western dressage. Now, but you still have to look at uh, the basics. And the very bottom of the basic uh, scale is rhythm. What's rhythm? Rhythm is the four-beat walk, the two-beat 
jog or trot and the three beat canter or lope. If you don't have that, you're not going to get a good score. And I've seen time after time, you know, you're watching a class, you watch one horse go across the diagonal of the walk. Okay, it's walking. Fine. You watch another horse go across the diagonal at the walk. You watch it. It's walking. Fine. One horse gets a 5.0 for its its effort. The other gets a 7.0. And the riders compare and they go, oh, my goodness. You know, well, gee, we both walk from point A to point B here or point M to point K, as <laughs> uh, the case may be. And, you know, why did we get a different score? Well, it's the their gates, the quality of their gates, because we also look at that. And that's what a dressage judge does, whether it's, and it doesn't matter what saddle you've got on the horse, we first have to look and be sure that the gate is clear, the gate is pure. Uh, we see a lot of problems with the walk. We also see a lot of problems with the canter getting a little bit lateral too sometimes. It, it loses the 3D quality and gets a little bit on the shoulders and almost becomes more like a pace and you can't score that high either. Uh, it you have to kind of look at that, and then from there, you say, okay, but this horse, okay, is a really good walk, but he's a little bit fussy in the bridle, so you have to take it down a notch on your score. Or he has, he's doing a very nice circle, he's a little bit fussy, oh, and the circle is not quite round. It's a little bit more oval, so you take it down a little bit more. There are some things that we do there. We there's no book that says uh, it's a 0.5 deduction or a point or a 1.0 deduction. You also have to look to see how bad it is. A disobedience sometimes is momentary, fleeting. You take it down maybe a half point if it's a blink of an eye. Or you can have a horse that stops and pitches a fit in the middle of the ring. Certainly that's a disobedience too. You're going to actually take it down far much more than that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yep. You had a question about the gated, gated horses? You know, uh, that, that is one. And I thought you, there was a question on the gated horses. And, and you really talked about how many different gated horses we had. And what I really think the clarity that you gave, is it a running walk, is it a whatever, when with, with each different gate. But you said, and it made total sense, the gate when they come in the arena down that center line. Um, is pretty much the gates they're going to give you, like a, what we'd call the working jog or, or a running walk. Um, if you could just touch base on that for our gated folks, because that sure clarified a lot of questions. Right, and uh, rightly so. The gated folks are concerned that we will not recognize their gates, that we will not uh, say that it's clear or pure, or, um, you know, they feel like they're not going to get the best uh eyes as far as the judges are concerned because most of the people who are judging uh, Western dressage are coming out of the dressage field and we don't have gated dressage in our regular dressage classes. But, and and when I have a, a younger judge, an L judge, come to me and say, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing a schooling show and they've got a gated class, what do I do? I said, well, okay. Most of them do a four-beat gait. There are some pacing gates, but whatever that horse comes down the center line doing, that's the gate you're looking for. If it's a four-beat gate, you're looking for that four-beat gate. If it asks you to lengthen that gate or go into your, your, your working gate, then, you know, they still have to maintain that four-beat gate. If it's 
level one and they need to lengthen, they have to be able to lengthen their frame a little bit and still maintain the 4BK. If they lose it, if it becomes lateral, if they lose the, the clear one, two, three, four in, the, in that gate, when they're making a corner, uh, when they're coming into their halls or transitions, that's when you have to mark them down. And it so doesn't the same really rules. matter. Yeah. So the same rules in terms of tempo and regularity apply. It's just the sequence of footfalls a little bit different Correct. depending on the, the breed. Yeah. You just take, and most of us, we have no idea what breed is coming down the center line. We just have to take the horse that's in front of us. If it's a gated class, we have to look and see what the gate is that they're giving us and adhere to that. A little bit easier for us if it's a jog and a lope because that's where both mainly been That's our comfort zone. (laughs) Yes, the comfort zone. And and I I really do want to say that when you do go to a schooling show and they've mixed up the traditional and the Western uh, classes, and sometimes, I mean, it's like one class of each, you know, dovetailing along. If you get a score back, a score sheet back, and the judge, judge criticizes your trot, or criticizes your canter when you're in a Western tack, please don't feel like the judge is really stupid. It's just we are trying to adjust back and forth and back and forth and back and forth all day. It's a little bit easier if we have like a full day of Western dressage. Then you Mm -hmm. kind of get into that niche. But in a schooling show, when we have to switch our hats every so often, it doesn't really work out that well for us. And we don't want to look stupid, but sometimes just that word gets put down instead. The wrong word gets put in there. Jog You're human. Yeah. yeah, I was going to yeah. say, oh my goodness, yeah. judges word, are word human. human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, I just thought that that was really beneficial the other night. So thank you very much. Um, while we're on the sort of the frequently asked questions, another one we get a lot. Um, do judges... Uh, look and do they care whether you ride in a curb or a snuffle? Okay. Um, I don't particularly. Um, But then I came from the Western Division, I hate to say this, many years ago. uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I have no problem with the curb. Uh, I also show um, combined driving. And I do driven dressage in a curb. So there's, in the back of my mind, I know very well that I can get a horse to be light, round, forward, balanced, and and working quite nicely with a curb. There are some judges that don't think it's possible, and they're a little bit, you know, stonewalling this a little bit. But if they actually looked, we do go to curbs when we go into the FEI division and with the double bridle. Uh, in traditional dressage, uh, and it is a, a lightning aid more than mm-hmm. it's certainly never meant to be heavy. And there is so much emphasis in Western dressage on lightness of the aids and the quiet mouth of the horse that, you know, we have to be serious. It's, it's a serious fault when uh, the bit hurts the horse, the mouth is open, tongue is balled up, gagging, tongue out, whatever, you know. We can't give that a good score. So I really, I love to see riders come in and really handle a horse beautifully with a nice curve. Um, 
I went to an Arab show a few months ago and one of the gals came from the main ring and decided to do a dressage test with her main ring horse. She actually did a beautiful forward ride. She'd done her homework and she did it with her uh, one hand and the Rommel. And I don't think she ever realized that, you know, she would have an option to do it with two, two, Mm. two reins, two hands. I thought it was an option to do it with the Snapple. That was how she worked her horse. It, it was very harmonious. She got a great score for it. I have no problem with it as long as it's done well. Okay. Thank you. Um, and that I had another question about that, and I just completely went out of my head because I was listening to your answer so intently. <laughs> That's I have I a question, though, or just an explanation. Once again, it's a learning curve. Yes, from a judge's point of view, when you're going to score, and Karen, you've told me that before when you've been at traditional mm-hmm. shows, and the box. And oh, if yeah. something goes wrong in the box, and so and I, I've done this now long enough that I, I'm familiar with the boxes and what maneuvers are in the boxes, and when we finish the box, and then we go on to the next score and the next maneuver. Um, so common errors that you know I was doing is if something's going to fall apart in one box, it falls into the next box. And I'm now learning to go from, you know, I'm trying to explain this, go from box to box. You know what I'm talking about, Karen? Um, uh, yeah, this was How would you of, fix it? Yeah. This, this is kind of what I talk to some of my competitors, you know, when things go wrong in the show ring. If you can, can if you can keep the disobedience or the error or the whatever the challenge is in the moment, Within a movement, if you can keep it from leaking into the next movement and the movement after that, um, you're going to end up with a better overall score because it's not going to impact your points as dramatically. Um, That's true. If it's uh, really a bad problem, it may influence the uh, submission score at the end. Mm-hmm. If uh, some of the problems the judge perceived was caused by the rider or um, inefficiency of the rider to quickly uh, solve the problem, it may uh, get their score too, their effectiveness score. Uh, but uh, what happens most of the time is in a lot of the Western dressage tests, there are so many things that happen right rapidly, bam, 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 you know, right behind the other. So like, I know at least in one of the tests that I see, you get like five scores in 10 seconds. Amazing. <laughs> you, know? yeah. so, you get five scores in 10 so, meters. <laughs> yeah. Right. However, uh, the one thing to think about though, is that uh, a lot of people don't realize the box starts where the letters with the letter. Okay. So if you do a, ten, a 20 meter circle at B, and then it tells you the next thing you're going to do is at A, like pick up the canter, uh, pick up the lope, if you will. Uh, if you do your 20-meter circle and there's a problem, after you finish the circle, say when you're completing the circle, you're now you're going down the long side, the horse, if you're loping, loses the gate, goes into the jog, okay? You should fix it as quickly as possible because then... When you get to A, whatever you're supposed to do at A won't be affected by it. Now, the other thing is, since the essence of the movement was the 20-meter circle, 
if the problem is between the end of that and the beginning of the next movement, you don't lose as much, like, say, uh, a half point instead of a full point. And again, it, it also depends upon how badly the disobedience was, how prolonged it was. A prolonged problem, you lose more points. Yeah, see, I... And that's, that's what I was really... That, that's yeah. what I was trying to get to, and you knew what, you knew what my question was. Yeah. So... Well, yeah, and it's different because you, you come from a world where if you go off pattern, you're done. You're done. Yeah. Yep, you're yeah. done. If you, if you pick up a wrong lead, you're done. And in the dressage world, you get that two-point error. Um, and even, you know, so it's not, you know, it, it doesn't affect your overall score. Um, but, yeah, so if things go wrong, keep right on riding. Um, so that, thank you. Yeah, so, so that was a good, a good yeah. explanation. So from the judge's perspective, what are some other things you seem, see time and time again? And this is your opportunity to speak up and tell people, please don't do that because it's so easy to fix. And I want to give you a good score. And I just can't when you do that. Well, first of all, one of the things I'd like to tell any writer in front of me is that I know that they're out there. I know that they may be nervous. Uh, no, no one ever goes down the center line trying to do a bad job. <laughs> you know? but I understand that in the heat of the moment, sometimes you forget what your work at home has taught you to do. Uh, the more you can fix things with your seat and your leg rather than your hand, the better off you're going to be. Uh, when you come down the center line, uh, I could take a little bit off if, your halt is not prompt, but I take a lot off if your halt is not straight. And think about this. I'm sitting at sea. I cannot tell if your one hind leg is a little bit more forward than the other, but I sure can tell if one hind leg is sticking out to the left or the right. Mm, gotcha. You know, so make those halts straight. Um, prepare. And once again, your you're looking turn. for two legs when you're looking down, correct? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Perfect. Yep, you don't want to see three or four. Good. No, <laughs> definitely not four. Um, <laughs> here, even though you're scared to death and you're looking at this terribly grumpy judge in front of you, uh, <laughs> when the first time you come down the center line, look over to where you're going to go, plan that nice turn that you're going to make, take the horse with you on your aids, command the ring. Don't Ooh, I like that. Command the ring. Yeah, absolutely command that ring. And then uh, one of my biggest problems uh, that I see with, uh, well, let's see, half turns from B to E, half circles, as well as 20-meter uh, circles, is people who make ovals instead of the actual half circle circles. or circle. Oh, I like the Lord. abstract geometrical shapes, personally. Oh, well, yeah, the potato. Right. We see that occasionally. Uh, I, uh, one of the ways that I used to characterize it is saying flat-sided at D. So, <laughs> you know, don't do that. Uh, and no one, everyone says, oh, you can't tell if they're doing a half circle from D to X and a half circle from X to E. You can't tell if that's an oval. Of course I can. If they get on the center line and jog down another 20 feet, <laughs> you know, of course they're not making two half circles 
<laughs> you know, even though I'm sitting at C, you know, technically they say, oh, you can't see that. Yes, we can. <laughs> so make your circles round. Um, the circle does not go, a 20 meter circle does not go to the, uh, the letters on, on the center line. Mm-hmm. If you're in a, and, and this is a traditional, uh, if you're in a 60 by 20 ring, you have to come inside L and I, inside, mm-hmm. not go out. If you go out to them, you're making a 24 meter oval. Mm-hmm. And I saw this once at a show, uh, another Arab show, Love the Skies. Uh, they put in a 20 by 40 meter ring, and there it's 28 meters between the G and B, and they still were going 28 meters. It took forever <laughs> to get that class done. <laughs> but make it a circle around. <laughs> but yeah, that's just, just the little things on accuracy that people don't always think about. And we just wish that they would because you, you'd score a half point to a point higher every time you do it right. Well, and I think every judge would so much rather be the good guy. I mean, I think you'd rather give, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s than 40s and 50s. Yeah. I live for nines. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, you really so, want to see that. Yeah. You know? So give give the judge a reason to use the big numbers. Well, Charlotte, it has been absolutely a pleasure speaking with you. I think we're pretty much out of time. Uh, I enjoy uh, working with you. I enjoy learning from you. I enjoy riding under you. And now I've enjoyed having you on the radio show. So thank you so much for your time. Hello, folks. Uncle Jimmy here, and welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy brand products, where funny names mean serious products. Featuring Uncle Jimmy Squeezy Buns, the squeezably soft hand treat that your horse will love, the award-winning Uncle Jimmy's Hangin' Balls, Uncle Jimmy's Sugar-Free Ball, the incredible Licky Thing, also in sugar-free, the amazing Uncle Jimmy's Pecker Wrecker, and the Big Licky. The infamous Uncle Jimmy Hangin' Ball was first designed by me for my own horses to help reduce the bad habits which come from stall boredom. It now can be found around the world. This nutritious flavored filled boredom buster will help keep your horses occupied and happy around the clock. Properly hung, it will last for weeks, provided you don't let your horse pin it, and Uncle Jimmy knows who you are. The ball comes in four flavors. Apple, carrot, peppermint, molasses, and now sugar-free. Once again, welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy's brand products, where funny names mean serious products, and satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Our Total Saddle Fit tip of the week is about holiday shopping and some book suggestions you might want to look for on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, some of my personal favorites, 101 Western Dressage Exercises by Jack Blue. 
Uh, we had Jack on the radio show not too long ago. She was a fantastic guest, and that's a fantastic book, a must-have, in my opinion. Um, Dressage for the Not-So-Perfect Horse by Janet Foy. While it's written uh, with the traditional dressage writer in mind, it's great for the Western dressage enthusiast, as is When Two Spines Align, Dressage Dynamics by Beth Bomer. Um, more cross-training, book two, Build a Better Performance horse, horse with Dressage by Jane Savoy. It's another must-have. And I uh, would also highly recommend your complete guide to Western Dressage by Lynn Palm. And we're hoping to have Lynn as our December guest. So do pick up that book. Uh, since the weather's going to start turning cold, it's a great time to update your library. Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western dressage saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Western Dressage Radio Show. You can find our show notes and links to today's guest on the website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook? Just search for the Dressage Radio Show. You can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Tim's website is training for fourlife.com. And my website is KarenAbatistaDressage.com. And you can email us at KarenAbatista at gmail.com. Many thanks to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Horseware, Uncle Jimmy's, and Total Saddle Fit. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And we would just like to wish all of you a very happy Thanksgiving, safe travels throughout this holiday weekend, and enjoy your journey and enjoy your ride. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you.